Open your Bibles now to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 tonight. Tonight I start off with the question, what is the greatest thing you can do to know God's will? What is the single greatest thing you can do to know God's will? We talk about, I'd like to know God's will. I wish I knew God's will in a big situation, in a specific situation. What is the greatest thing you can do to know God's will in your life? Here's another question. What is the greatest thing you can do to avoid temptation? We have snares set all around us. We have all these temptations. We'd like to stay away from those. We'd like to not fall into those. What is the greatest thing, the single greatest thing you can do to avoid temptation? Here's another question. What is the greatest thing you can do to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ? If you want to grow as a, as a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, what is the greatest thing you can do? Well, I'll just tell you that the answer to all of those questions is time spent in God's Word. As plain as that, as straightforward as that, it is time spent in God's Word. Now, let me tell you what we know that. Good grief, you're sitting there thinking, I know what he's going to say. I know how he's going to answer that. He's going to say time spent in God's Word. Well, then here's the question. Well, then why is that so hard? Why is that such a problem for us? If you want godly wisdom, if you want to stay away from temptation, if you want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, why is it so difficult to be consistent in the Word of God? Now, there's lots of things we could talk about. Now, I can think there's probably several things, lots of things we could talk about. But the first thing is this. We have to be convinced that this is God's Word and this is God's wisdom. And I think we have, to, we have to strongly teach that. We have to tell each other that. We have to be thoroughly convinced that this is God's word and God's wisdom. It's not just a guide. It's not just a book that you can get at Lifeway or Mardell's. It's not just a manual that, hey, we'll look at it if we have time. This is the word of God and therefore is God's wisdom. I say all that to bring us to this point tonight. Tonight, the words we are hearing, they are the word of God. They contain the wisdom of God. This isn't from me. This is not from our denomination. This isn't mailed to us from somewhere. This is the word of God containing the wisdom of God. And we will be equipped in their study. Now, that's a big thing. We go through life and we're ill-equipped. Well, we're going to be equipped in their study, and then we will be blessed in their practice. You want to be blessed, we're blessed in the practice, the obedience of the Word of God. It matters, it matters, it matters. And so we go back tonight, starting again tonight, to God's Word, to God's wisdom. All right, we're going to begin tonight in chapter 18. We left off last week in verse 7. We start back tonight in verse 8. <clears throat> verse 8. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. The words of a whisperer are like dainty morsels, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Now I want you to see the image there, see the picture there. A 
person who whispers. This is a person that has secret information, that has desired information. It's a person that talks in hushed tones. This person is a gossip. That's what it's talking about, a gossip. The words of a whisperer, the words of a gossip, it says these words are like dainty morsels. Now, I don't know what, what that looks like to you. That looks like uh, chocolate chips to me. That's what it looks like to me, dainty morsels. We like them. We want them. We long for them. The words of a gossip, the words of a whisper, of a whisper they're like Lay's potato chips. Nobody can have just one. And the Bible says, and they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Now, here's what that means. These words, we, we like them, we crave them, we take them in, we consume them, and they go into our heart, and they change our heart. They go into our minds, and they change our minds. And that is our nature. That's what God is saying in his word. That, that is our nature. Let me put this into plain words tonight. That's kind of hard. I like the picture there, but let me put it into plain words. We like to gossip, and we like to hear gossip. That's what it's saying. We, we oh, what did you say? I thought you said something, and I want to hear what, what did you say about them? Where was their car at? What did you hear about their mother-in-law? And we, we like to hear these things, and we take them in, and we, we digest them into our mind, to our heart. We like to gossip, and we like to hear gossip. That is our nature. Well, God's wisdom in verse 8 warns us of both, warns us of both of those things. Here's how I sum up verse 8, ouch. Verse 8 is ouch. All right, verse 9. He also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. God goes on, he also who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Now, him who destroys, this is the person that wrecks things, that causes problems in things, in situations, that that doesn't build things up. They're wrecking things instead of building things up. This is not a profitable individual to be entwined with. He who is slack in his work, the Bible says, is a brother to that person. It means they are similar to that person. They are closely related to that person. Now, I would think, well, a murderer or this or that, they're related. No, a person slack in their work, they are closely related to a person who destroys things. Now, I want you to see this. We've we've covered this three or four times in our study in Proverbs, but evidently it's not getting through to our world. See this tonight. God's system includes work. His system for life on earth includes work. Now we think, well, that's a punishment. That's, that's got to be a punishment. Before the fall, before the entering into sin in the garden, guess what? There was work. They're going to tend to the animals. They're going to tend to the things of earth. Work was always part of God's plan. Well, still today, People are to be productive. 
People are to be diligent workers. They are to labor. That is the truth of God's system. We are to produce. We are to be workers. We're not to trust it to chance. Well, we'll just see how it goes. Well, we'll see what the end of the month looks like. Well, I've got a scratch-off ticket. We're not to trust it to chance. We're not to look to others. Do you know it's nobody's responsibility to care for you? You know what? It's not the government's responsibility. It's not the church's responsibility. It's not your neighbor's responsibility. Now, there are some that the church are to take care of, but most folks don't fit into that category. We're not to go around saying, what if I fail, you'll take care of me. You know, the Bible says we have the right to starve to death. You know what? You don't want to work? You have the right to starve to death. We're not to be charity cases. And, and we, we, we're living in a world where, you know what? I'll go here and I'll go there. I got a schedule of all the charity that I can participate in. Here's the truth of God's system. God blesses hard work. That's his system. God blesses hard work. Let me tell you the fruit of that. Now that man, that sounds tough. We're going to have to work. Did you know we value ourselves when we work? Did you know you sit at home, people mail you stuff, and people bring you stuff and drop it off on your porch? You begin to have a lower value of yourself. We value ourselves when we work. Did you know we feel better about ourselves when we work? When you go out and you do something productive, whatever that is, we feel better about ourselves. Did you know there are less problems when we work? financial, spiritual, emotional. There are less problems when a person is busy being productive. There are less problems when we work. And the Bible says when a person slack in work is a destroyer. Slack in work, thought, what is that? What is that exactly? Slack in work translates is slothful, emulates the ways of a sloth. You ever watch those deals on TV or on on YouTube of a sloth? You ever watch a sloth on the the YouTube video that's crossing the road? It doesn't give a dang about the road. It doesn't care that cars are backed up. It might get halfway across and spend 10 minutes looking back where he's just come from. It means slow, lazy, to put things off. You know what? I'll, I'll cross the road maybe tomorrow. There's an old idea, and it's a a biblical idea, and we need to reattach to that idea. And I'm talking about us today. Believers, followers of Jesus Christ should be known for their work ethic. Yeah, we got to proclaim the gospel. Yes, we use our mouth to do it. But you know what? We should be known as, as a follower of Jesus Christ for our work ethic. That is the biblical system of God. You'll feel better, you'll be more productive, and you'll see less trouble. That's what the Bible says, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous one runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous one runs into it and is safe. Now, a strong tower, you have to understand the context. It was a fortress. You build a city, you build a fortress. You're going to stay there a while, you build a fortress, a strong tower. It is a place of safety. It is a place of security. At the the strong tower, you could defend against an attack. 
You could prevent the enemies from overtaking you. You could keep away from thieves or those that would do you harm. Well, it says the name of the Lord. Now, I want to talk about that. This morning, I touched on that. The name of the Lord, it's not just the name for us, Jesus. It's not just that. It is the understanding of the Lord. It is the truth of the Lord. Just like your name or any name, a name defines somebody. A name carries with it the attributes associated with somebody. It encompasses that person. Now, I could, I could say a name and you'll probably think of somebody. And you'll probably think of how they are and what they did. Jake. When I say Jake, you picture all the attributes of Jake. You picture all the Jakes that you know. I picture Jake from State Farm. The name encompasses the person. He's got khaki pants, got a red shirt. He's on the phone in the middle of the night. Well, the truth of our Lord, here's what the verse is saying. The truth of our Lord, the correct understanding of our Lord for believers is our strong tower. It is our place of protection where we are safe. The truth of the Lord, the name of the Lord is our strong tower. The Bible says the righteous runs into it and is safe. Now, the point of the verse is this. God's wisdom is this. As believers, our trust is in God. As believers, our confidence is in God. As believers, our provision, our safety is in God. In Him, the truth of our Lord, the truth of our Savior, we are protected and we are safe. We need to say that. We need to teach that. We need to for sure exhibit that. Here's the truth, and I want you to hear this tonight. In Jesus Christ, we have everything we need. We have everything we need in Jesus Christ. In Christ, we have the promise that all that we need will be given to us according to his riches and glory. That's talking about some of our physical needs. In Christ, we have everything we need when it comes to salvation. In Christ, we can trust God will provide for us. In Christ, we have a future secured in Christ. It ends with us with Christ, worshiping Christ. We have a future. We're not cut off. We have a future secured in Christ. In Christ, come what may, we are safe. We need that today. And I watched the last few, few years, the last couple of years, and maybe we forget that. Maybe there's a group think. Maybe we, we start to, to fear things as a, as a response. But we need to understand the Bible says we are safe in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. If there is a drought that never lets up, you know what? We're safe in Jesus Christ. If there is a war that rages in our streets, we're safe in Jesus Christ. If there is a sickness that they want you to get vaccines and wear masks and it comes into your neighborhood, if there is a sickness, we're safe in Jesus Christ. Not saying we won't have hardships. Not saying it won't be tough and terrible. But I want to tell you this, as followers of Jesus Christ, he is our strong tower, and the righteous that run to him will be safe. There's a saying years ago, it became a song being 10 foot tall and bulletproof. And there's some things that produce that in people. Following Christ ought to be one of those things. 
you know what? I'm safe in Christ. Now, we're not supposed to be crazy in that. Maybe we are supposed to be crazy in that. We are safe, secure. We can be confident in Jesus Christ. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. Verse 11, a rich man's wealth is his strong city, tied to that other verse, and like a high wall in his own imagination. Think about this. We believe today, now, I don't know anybody that says this, but we actually believe it. Some might say it. We believe today that money can fix anything, and we believe that. Really, that is the central piece of what we believe in our human world today. And I think people have always believed that. You can go back and look at Solomon. But today, that is the centerpiece of everything we believe today. As money is the center, money fixes all things. Think about this today. We start telling our kids, if you'll get jobs, you'll have money. If you'll get this job, you'll get more money. If you get that job, you'll get more money than that money. We say, you know what? You got to get a degree that you can get more money. You got to spend these hours. Why? Because you'll get money. We actually call success. And I'll, I'll tell you this. I believe the number one measure of success today is the stack of money that you have. Character, I don't think so much. Raising a family, I don't think so much. The number one measure of success, look at that car, look at that house, look at that vacation, look at that other home that they have. What we call success today is the stacking up of money. We are impressed by money. We take pride in money. And then here's the point of the verse. We think there's security in money. It says the rich man's wealth is his strong city. The strong tower we know is the truth of Jesus Christ, but the rich man, he thinks that is his strong city and like a high wall in his own imagination. Now what that is is this person believes that his wealth is like a great wall and it's going to keep the trouble of life away. The wall's big. We won't get sick. We won't have trouble. We won't have divorce. We won't have, we won't have things that affect us. The wall is big and in their imagination, well, have you seen my bank account? I've got a big wall out there. Here's the, here's the truth. Our hope is in Jesus. These two verses link together. Be very sure. I, I always want to say this. The Bible's not against wealth and the Bible's not against wealthy people. But it is against placing your hope in wealth. Sure, there's folks that they're wealthy and they've worked and they've, they've done well and they're wealthy. God's not against those folks, but it's against saying, you know what, my hope is in our wealth. That is a false hope. Verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Before destruction... The heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Verse 12 is a warning against, very simply, pride. Pride is self-exaltation. Pride is self-reliance. I looked it up in the dictionary. It's defined as pleasure and satisfaction derived from one's own achievement, qualities, or possessions. Achievements, qualities, or possessions. Pleasure and satisfaction found derived from those things. Here's a weird thing. God says he hates pride. 
you know that? He actually says he abhors, he has a deep, the word translates, he detests pride. Now, I want you to see how this, how this plays out here. Our world says you need more pride. God says your problem is your pride. Our world says if you had more pride, you would do these things. If you had a greater self-esteem, you would accomplish more things. And our world says we need to brag on you and build you up, and you need to build yourself up and hold up all your trophies. Our world says what your problem is, you need more pride, and God says your pride is your problem. Pride turns your focus from God, away from God, and places it on yourself. And here's, here's the biggest shame of it all. Pride steals worship from God and exalts yourself. That's why God hates it. You know what? I'll trust me. I'll turn to me. Instead of worshiping him, we worship ourselves. Now, I started to make a list, and I stopped two people in. <laughs> Adam and Eve sinned because of why, ultimately? Pride. You can be like God. You can know things like God. And so, well, hey, why has he got something over us? Pride. Pride is why Cain killed Abel. He was jealous of his righteousness. He, you know what? I could have done that, and I didn't do this, and maybe I look bad. And because of the righteousness of his brother, he kills him. It starts in pride. I could go on and on and on. Pride and following Christ cannot mix. Look at the example of Jesus. The verse says, before destruction, before calamity, before collapse, the heart of a man is haughty. Before the destruction takes place, before the disaster hits, the heart of a man says, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, and it won't happen to me. And that's when it happens. You ever thought that? It won't happen to me. <laughs> that's when it happens to you. The flip side of that, the Bible says, and it's funny because it goes ahead and spells it out, humility precedes honor. It means goes before honor. If you find honor going before that, preceding that is humility. Now, I, I want you to see this. God's system does honor. Sometimes we think, well, what kind of system is this? It says he is righteous and he remembers. And it does produce honor. But that honor is after self-sacrifice, after self-denial, after the squelching of pride. In God's system, you become first after you've served as the last. I want to, I want to say this, and, and I think it's worth knowing, thinking about. Ultimately, this is about salvation. Ultimately, this, comes, this is talking about salvation. And, and the, it enters in in different ways. It's evidence in different ways. But ultimately, it comes back to a matter of salvation. You see, the world teaches us to say, you've got this. You ever hear that? You've got this. Well, on Monday, I have that. Well, you've got this. The world teaches us you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. The world now teaches us last 10 years, you're enough. You're enough. If you're lacking, it's, it's not right. You're enough. And when it comes to salvation, we start following that logic and we start getting to the place we're not looking for a Savior. You know what? I am enough. You know what? I got this. You know what? I can do this. And the truth of salvation is this. You have to humble yourself and say, you know what? I need a Savior. 
I'm hopeless without a Savior. I cannot do this, and I am not enough. Jesus is. It's really a matter of salvation. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, but humility goes before honor. Verse 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Now I want you to see the picture of verse 13. The picture of verse 13 is a person that knows everything. They know everything. They know better than you for sure. They know everything. They know better than you. And they have an answer for everything. Now, I think it's interesting how God writes it here. They have an answer for everything to the extent they don't even need a question and they've got an answer. Have you ever met someone like that? I know so much, I don't even need a question. That's what it says. They're already answering before the question's even out. They do not think. They do not consider, they do not weigh, they do not measure, they answer. They have an answer, they know everything before there's even a question. Let me tell you what that is. That is a reflection of their heart. Well, it's just their personality. Actually, no, it's a reflection of their heart. They are prideful. They are prideful. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Folly translates stupidity, stupidness. It is stupidity. It is shame. It means it brings reproach. Isn't it weird? And I, and I don't know, but I don't know who you're thinking about, but isn't it weird? These people, their lives are usually marked by trouble. And you watch them, and, and their lives are marked by chaos and trouble and, 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 and struggle, and yet they're still the person that has an answer for everything. And you watch them, they don't have godly wisdom. That's what they're showing here. They're not deferring to God. They're, they're operating in their own pride. That's what they're showing here. And their life is a train wreck after a train wreck after a train wreck. And yet they're ready to still give you an answer. They still know the best thing. He who gives an answer before he hears it is folly, stupidity, and shame reproach to him. Verse 14. The spirit of a man can endure sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? The spirit of a man can endure sickness, but as for a broken spirit, who can bear it? Verse 14 is very interesting. In, in verse 14, here's, here's what it's basically saying. You can gut yourself through some things. And maybe you've been through a hard thing and you just say, I'm going to bull my neck and I'll make it. You can gut yourself through some things. That's the truth. But a broken spirit, a crushed spirit is too much to bear. Now, let me, let me show you what that means. I looked at this very carefully. Here's what this means. The single greatest factor in a person persevering, making it, and enduring. The single greatest factor is their attitude is their spirit. That's what it's saying. I, I've seen that 
And, and, and you watch either way. I've seen it when a person becomes crushed in spirit, when they become defeated in spirit, when they decide to give up, it's over. I've watched folks that they were crushed, they gave up, and I've watched them pass away the same day. They just gave up. Tired of fighting this. I've watched folks and they say, you know what, I, I can't take this, I can't take this. And you watch the remainder of the months that follow that and, and things just fall away from them. It all goes back to this. And it's pretty awesome how it is all circular. It all goes back to this. When we are in Christ, when we are running to Christ, and when we are fixing our eyes on Jesus, he actually is our strong tower. He actually is our safety. He is our peace. And the, and the truth is this, though troubles rage all around us, though there are problems all around us and they are real problems, the songwriter writes, those sorrows like sea billows roll. If our eyes are on Christ and he is our hope and our confidence is in him, we can endure. That's what the verse is saying. Whatever our lot, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let me tell you something tonight. If you don't know Jesus, trust Christ. If you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior, turn to him today. If you're here and you know Christ and you're in, in a troubled time, give it to Christ. He is your strong tower. He is your hope. Our answer tonight is this, same answer this morning, Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. I'm gonna ask if you'll stand. I'm gonna lead us in a word of prayer. Dear Father, we come tonight, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful that you love and care for us enough to grow us, to teach us, to train us. We're thankful for your wisdom. It's not the silly wisdom of a messed up, sinking, dying world. It's the wisdom of a loving, gracious, infinitely wise God. Lord, I pray that what we've heard tonight, we would carry out of here. We put it into practice that would resonate in our brains and our hearts, that we would look more like you've built us, called us to look, that we'd bring honor to you in our responses. And I, I pray, Lord, as, as we go through this week, that if we walk through trouble, that we would turn to our strong tower, Jesus. I pray for some that do not know you, that are hopeless, that are helpless, that are crushed. And how could they be anything but that? I pray that in this message, in the hearing of grace and kindness and forgiveness and hope in the person of Jesus, I pray that they would turn and they would call upon you and trust you as their Savior. Lord, we thank you for this hour. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. We praise you in it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.